Pius XIII was a great poem, but life evolves in spite of us. I'm the new poem. Who is the Pope now? Everybody, welcome to Papal Bull Resurrection Fanbyte.com's New Pope Podcast. I'm your host, Merritt Kay, features and trending editor at Fanbyte.com, and joining me, as always, is Fanbyte's chief liturgical correspondent, Eric Thurm. Uh, and today we have a very special guest on the show, uh, my friend, a writer living in Chicago, expert on uh, many people topics, Jorge Cote. Jorge, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Jorge, let's start with uh, our regular segment, Confessional, in which we ask uh, our guests to tell us about their relationship with the Catholic Church, the show, uh, and I think this might be a bit of a throwback to uh, our our episode with Chris Wade, where a lot of that involved people talking about uh, me yelling at them about <laughs> the, the, the young pope. It didn't take that much yelling to get me into the young pup. But uh, yeah, so I was raised very Catholic. Uh, I went to a parochial school from the age of three till fifth grade. And then I went to, sorry, go ahead. Oh, this is me showing my ignorance, but what is a parochial school? A parochial school is a Catholic school that's affiliated with a parish. Oh, okay. Uh, so if the church is Good Shepherd, which is where I went, the school's like right next door. And uh, and then I went to a Jesuit school after that, an all-boys school where we had to wear a tie every day. That was unaffiliated with a specific church. Um, but yeah, a lot of Catholicism in my upbringing. So you could say uh, the goings-on of the Vatican are... Are, are near and dear to my heart, even though I'm would put myself in the lapsed category. What what was that like? Did you sort of spend a lot of time as a child uh, thinking about the Vatican? Was that like a big topic of conversation? No, no. I'm, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it was like my parents did care about John Paul II a lot. The real question is, what do your parents think about John Paul III? <laughs> I don't think they like him very much. Okay, say more. You're, so so I'm, I'm assuming now that your parents watch this television show. Uh, no, I wish they did. I, so your parents I watch the show. Them, <laughs> I did force them to watch uh, like half of The Young Pope. Um, but my mom was kind of scandalized by it. Okay, see, I would love to hear a little bit more about that. I feel like we have not sort of heard anybody whose reaction was, I don't like this, because I think we we sort of are projecting a strong, you must like this well, show. I think uh, when we talked to uh, Javier Camara, he was saying that there was some of the scandalization in response to the young Pope, because there was, and this season as well, the new Pope, because there is like sex in it, and he smokes, and there's like, Kind of, it's not always showing these players in like the best light. Oh, that that's true. I I 
My mom takes Catholicism very seriously. It's what she devotes her life to. So it's not that she didn't enjoy the show and she obviously can take it, like have some distance and kind of see it as a house of cards uh, version of the Vatican. But she will like also find the time to be like, you know, it's not really like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, it do not be like that sometimes. Uh, yeah. Uh, and what, what, how, how would you sort of describe your, your initial encounters with the, the young Pope? I, I think it was the memes was the first okay. encounter. Uh, I did not watch it when it aired in Europe, which I'm sure you did. Uh, so I, I saw it when it came out on HBO, but I, I was hooked pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so now it's it's good that we uh, are on that subject because you you have gotten very lucky. Uh, you have gotten the episode in which Jude Law finally returns to us. A little episode uh, we're calling uh, "Weekend at Lenny's." It's a very special episode. Yeah. So let's let's maybe get into talking about. It. So just first of all. It's so nice to have this character back. I love Lenny Bellardo so much. Both as a character, Jude Law's performance, his fucking glowing ass Speedo, just like everything about him is so weird in in sort of a way. Obviously, this season has been very weird, but I think it has been weird in a different way. Uh and it, this really highlights it, starting with the opening credits, which which change in this episode to a, a long sequence of Lenny emerging from the water on a beach in a glowing white Speedo um, in, in which he takes a cigarette out of Esther's uh, decorative cross and then walks uh, through a sort of like lane of women who are hitting beach balls uh, back and forth over his head. Is that sort of a fair characterization of what's going on in this opening sequence? Did I miss anything? It's pretty horny also. Yeah. It's in slow motion. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's worth mentioning. I mean, it's a callback to, of course, the young Pope's opening credits in which Lenny Bellardo walks past a series of paintings uh, a meteor falls and like the painting catches on fire and he turns to the uh, the camera and winks and yes. he does that in this again and the young pope uh, the credits ended with something hitting a statue of of pope, yeah of John Paul II John Paul II and knocking it over um, and this one ends with a woman who might be his mother I don't remember. If that is the actress who I don't, I thought that was the Virgin Mary. Yeah, I okay, thought it was yeah. either his mother or the Virgin Mary, or maybe both. Right, right. Uh yes, falling over as he walks past her, it over the title of the show in a way that and we sort of don't have to get deep into this. This is like deep like but conspiracy. It is it is important to say that at one point while she's falling over, it does look like the name of the show is the Jew Pope. For, yeah, um, for more, it's, this isn't like a freeze frame thing. It's there for like a little bit. Which which I will say, I think, is one of multiple indications, and, and we'll sort of get into this over the course of the episode, uh, that this episode was written with me specifically in mind. Mm-hmm. 
uh, which we we sort of will get to later, but uh, that's sort of my, like, going theory, that this episode was specifically written to appeal to me and, like, maybe other people, but mostly to me specifically. Um, I'll I'll say that uh, unprompted, uh, my partner uh, Lauren mentioned that it looks like the title of the show is The Jew Pope. See? It's people people yeah. have been talking so, about this. This is like a real thing. Look, we're I'm like just not, hearing. people yeah. are talking. We're not making this up. The 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 Jews are all talking about this in the in the council uh, council of Zion uh, group chat. Um <laughs> the slack. Yeah, exactly. God, we do please. Uh uh slack is not secure enough for this. Um but there is it, it, this is a, a fake out, and there are a lot of horny fake outs in this episode. And I, I want to sort of have that be like a big first theme. There are a lot of moments that feel very like erotically charged in the way that a lot of the first season did, uh, where nothing actually happens, and it's just sort of like people smoldering. Like there's this moment in the title sequence where. Uh, it looks like Lenny is about to like make out with Esther and instead he like kisses her on the forehead. There are these moments with the doctor's wife and we'll, we'll get into those characters in a second, but the wife of the doctor who'd been taking care of him where they sort of are like smoldering at each other a little bit. And of course the entire point of Lenny's charisma is that he is Jude Law and is like a very hot person, uh, but just has like no no sexual energy whatsoever and i i really miss that i needed it in my life a lot uh, because john paul the third has been horny in a much more direct and very different way <laughs> if, 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 if either of you have thoughts about sort of the difference in horny styles i mean there are different sides of a coin right like is it, john paul when he shows up like he, he doesn't have the kind of charisma of a jude law but he is constantly like he he forces it almost into every scene that he's in just by virtue of his his I don't know it's almost like he's willing that into being whereas Jude Law it's like an accidental thing that he doesn't realize that he's doing he can't control it yeah it's just like it oozes out of him it's like you know this motherfucker was in the holiday um <laughs> is you know this is Pope Sky Captain oh my god <laughs> Let's just name our G-Law We're just closer. Talented Mr. Ripley. Talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, that was the one. Uh, he was the guy who got killed. Uh, Pope Artificial, Pope AI. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the Jiggle from AI. Anyway. Uh, you know, but, but, but he does like, right, his charisma is very, it's like a blunt instrument. Uh, and I think we get a lot of that in these moments where, you know, he like hits all of the things that we are sort of hoping that he's going to say, like from the very beginning, he's like, how long was I in a coma? The doctor's like a year. And he says, then I certainly deserve a cherry Coke zero. And like the first time I watched this, I just like was, I was hooting and hollering. Like, the phrase hooting and hollering was, I think, invented to refer to my reaction when he, the first thing he does after waking up from a coma is ask for a Cherry Coke Zero. I mean, isn't that the first thing he does when he gets into the vacuum, yep, too, is ask is. for a Cherry Coke Zero? And they're like, ah, uh, we have Diet Coke. And he's just like, sorry, did I stutter? Like, it, did you it, mishear me? It's, it is a sin to settle, it's heresy to, or it's a sin to settle for things in life. Yeah. Let's yeah. not utter heresies, yeah. uh, Domen. 
Uh, Domond, who shows up later in the episode uh, during the dog funeral scene, which we will get to. Uh, but it, mm-hmm. it, it's also easy to take for granted, but w- w- I mean, it's an incredible performance. His The way his voice is different um, than he sounds in it, like when he awakes from the coma, his, he's like talking in this like husky voice, like almost like it's been built up and not in his middle register the way he talks when he's has the the papal authority i i it's great he's he's more staccato in this episode too um and he really like over the course of the young pope you get this sense of him as this character who is like and we've talked about this a little bit last week he's like an atheist in some ways but maybe he believes in God and he has like this adversarial relationship with God. Uh, and he sort of knows on some level that he has access to some form of spiritual power, but he refuses to acknowledge it. And that stuff all just comes like pouring out simply by virtue of the fact that he's woken up. Um, because the, the, you know, he says to the doctor, like, it's not just about the fact that the world loves me. Like, how does the world love me now? Because now, from now on, everyone will know that I woke up from this coma and that your science can't explain it. Uh, your science was so focused on waking me up from this coma that it didn't stop to think of whether it should wake me up from this coma. Boo. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, but but that that now he, he can't really deny the fact that He's there's... He's more than a pope. He's moved past the Pope. Yeah. Now he's a living saint. Exactly. He's, he has exceeded Super Saiyan. Now he saint, is... Super Saintum? He's exceeded he's, Super he's, Saintum. He's God Super Saintum. <laughs> <laughs> he's a Super Saintum God Super Saint. <laughs> That's horrible. Uh, but I think it is accurate. As as he, he does uh, sort of perform in this episode a Holy Spirit Bomb. Um, but the, it, it like... This thing is really big and it's different. And we have had six episodes of buildup of like, when's Lenny coming back? When's Lenny coming back? We know he's showing up as a ghost, but he hasn't come back yet. Uh, and now he's here. And like, what does that mean? And I, I don't know if we get a real answer to that question in this episode, but I do think that the question gets asked in a lot of really interesting ways. I don't know. Or did you have any favorite sort of like, Bit like big Lenny's back moments from from uh, from this episode, or do we want to just sort of run through his like little his parable? Because most of this episode is like a parable almost yeah. of him, the doctor, and the doctor's wife. And the right when when he thief, when, when he says, "Sorry, no, please, this, yeah, don't, <laughs> just ignore, ignore, it, ignore, it, ignore it. <laughs> This is heresy. Uh, like you said, he says." In what way do they love me? And and so his relationship with Ava, the doctor's wife, is in many ways a microcosm of what his relationship is going to be to mm-hmm. the people who idealize him and turn him into an icon. Uh, while at the same time, he's dealing with almost being reborn. It's like a, a, a almost like an uber baptism. He's he's back in a body. He's back in the habit. 
Yeah. And he, 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 she says to him, and I think this really to me is like one of the most interesting parts of this episode, right? So, so sort of context, if you are solely absorbing the show through our like very clear and, and very effective explanations, which we do, uh, the doctor and his wife have a son. Uh, the son is 11, I believe. He's a young boy. Uh, and he has a very serious uh, condition, type 1 congenital myotonic dystrophy, uh, which essentially means that he, you know, has sort of progressive muscle degradation, which sort of even putting to the side for a moment the continuation of Sorrentino's like kind of weird disability issues that we've been talking about a lot on this show that he presents this question of like, okay, Lenny has sort of come back. He seems to clearly have some capacity to do miracles. Will he and can he heal this child? Uh, and that's what Ava, the wife, asks, asks him to do. And even when he like refuses to do it, she's like, no, you have a moral obligation to, to try to do this. Right, you potentially have access to these tools, and if you don't try to do it, you're shirking your responsibility. In many ways, sort of just like a, an, a kind of like individual conversation where Lenny kind of stands in for God, right? It's kind of the classic just like, why would God do this? And like, God has the ability clearly to like heal people, but why won't he fix or like fix or heal or whatever our son? Um, and she eventually reveals that she doesn't actually believe in God anymore. And she only believes in Lenny because well, I, he's come back from the dead. And like, she's been praying for years and years and nothing has changed. I, I think it's telling too, that the music in that scene leading up to first Lenny's like prostate on his bed. And it's like mm. horror, mu like horror movie music is playing. And that leads up to that confrontation uh, it's almost like to Lenny having the possibility that he has this power is something that's incredibly frightening. Yeah, the lights dim and he's like, I did not ask for this. I never right. asked for this. Uh, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't want this. And he, he says to her, and I, I think this scene is really interesting, both because it sort of has this abstract quality to it that the show has not had for a while, but also because... I actually think that the scene, like, such as you can imagine Sorrentino having a perspective on this, I think is pretty clearly on her side of this argument, right? And he he's basically in denial, right? He says, oh, you see me as a shortcut so that you don't have to pray anymore, when it's, like, obvious, right, that, like, he, if you sort of are thinking about this theologically, or he is the answer to her prayers, so to speak, Right, and that her faith in him is like an extension of faith in saying, I knew or I wanted God to provide some way of, of healing my son, and God has brought this saint into my life. Which doesn't feel like a big stretch. It feels like a sort of very obvious way to think about it. And then he says, you believe in God, but you're not very versed in theology. Which has this sort of classic Lenny Zinger quality to it, even though it doesn't land. Because he clearly is in the wrong, which he himself acknowledges later. Um, you know, he he tells the doctor, I, I need to apologize to your wife because he is just afraid uh, of the possibility of like, what does it mean if he can actually do this? 
And he 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 then <clears throat> afterwards says, I want to yeet your son. Sorry, meet your son. I have yeet your son <laughs> written in my notes. Um, <clears throat> he does. He I do. He kind of does. No, I mean, spoilers. He kind of does. He does yeet her son uh, out of this plane of existence. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so the son, we meet the son. The son, and this is very important. This is sort of a big... Uh, banner part of episode her son's name is eric and there are a lot of scenes in this episode of jude law being like god we got to talk about eric and i would love i'm making this official ask to all all six fans of this podcast please if someone could make an audio clipping of that and send it to me so i could use it as my uh text notification sound uh, and really just annoy other people in my life. Please it would don't. make me very, please do. It made me very to hear happy. That more than anyone, probably. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah, you, you and, and, and my girlfriend. Uh, uh, and yeah, it would be, it would really make me very happy and a lot of people around me very miserable, but like, please do me the solid. Uh, because he meets Eric and he, he whispers in his ear and he, they have this sort of moment that feeds into Sorrentino's way of framing a lot of the sort of disabled characters as essentially like prayer objects, right? As sort of like innocent beings that that the other characters have to interact with, which we get later in the episode in one of the few non-Lenny scenes uh, when Sophia goes to visit Voyello with uh, Don Mimo and Girolamo. And I it just really like, for whatever reason, I felt like this subplot I don't know what it is. I think it might just be that it's more, it feels more honest about the fact that it's using this character in an instrumental way, which I don't think is an excuse necessarily, but that the the episode is very clear, I think, about the point of this parable and about the using this family as a way to explore, like not just the son, but the parents too, as a way to explore who Lenny is and what he is now. Um, and so for whatever reason, it like, it, it's still, I think, troubling, but it didn't bother me quite as much as a lot of the other disability stuff has in this episode. I don't know how, how well, you guys felt about that. I think one reason why it's a little less troubling is because all of these characters are basically stock figures, like the doctor and the wife and the son, and we don't really see them again. Like, they're just sort of like here. And we don't really get that much about them. We just sort of have like this like vague sense of who they are. So like no one in this episode really gets like deep characterization over the course of a season. Well, except Lenny. Except Lenny, right. right. He's so just he's, sort of he's entering these people's lives. Um, and so like, I think, you know, it's almost like uh, Ava and the doctor get as much characterization as their son, which is to say like not very much and they don't need very much, right? Yeah, I think that makes sense. I don't know, Jorge, how did you feel about that? Yeah, I I mean, I agree that in the context of the larger issues with the show, and I would say with a tendency from a kind of Catholic point of view to idealize the, the kind of... Um, disabled person as not an object of pity 
but almost in in seeing the goodness in them and seeing their freedom from sin and closeness to God because of that, uh, which doesn't leave a lot of room for their own agency. Yeah, and there's this very telling moment, I think, where Lenny asks if he can stroke Eric's cheek, uh, to which I would say yes. Uh, and the, the doctor says, yes, like he'd like that, even if he's unable to sort of express it. And that to me feels like it's the closest that the show has come in some ways to acknowledging those difficulties, right? That it's this very sort of brief moment of saying, yes, this person like has their own subjectivity. And the question is sort of whether we trust the father to be accurately portraying or representing that. And I, I don't know if I do or not, but that acknowledging it as an issue feels like the important thing. Um, especially because a lot of the later scenes that, that he's in are so archetypal, right? Like there's this moment where the mother is holding him in the bath and it's like on one level you could say, okay, this is a buck wild scene of this this nude mother holding her nude son in a bath and, and that that, you know, is sort of very close to this additional nude scene in which all the members of the Lenny cult are just like standing naked on a beach. Um, mm -hmm. But it also that scene, I think, is very obviously a Pieta, right, that that she's she's holding him as like mm -hmm. a mourning Madonna, uh, which also is how she is referred to earlier in the episode that then also reflects the Pieta, uh, the the statue in St. Peter's Basilica, which, you know, uh, gets attacked by by uh, Isis or by Pope Isis uh, in this episode. And there sort of is a, a question of like loss and like what I think is spiritually meaningful and valuable and what is saved through this type of sacrifice. Um, and I, I don't know how I feel about what that, I don't know exactly how to feel about that, that whatever message that's sending, but I do think that the, the conjunction is really interesting, right? That it's like ex positioned exactly the same way. I think that's like an undeniable uh, visual reference. It, it's explicit. I think in the episode, because this, and what other episodes have we gotten two different shots of the actual statue of uh, the Pieta and then also a symbolic recreation of it. I think it's explicit. And I think also the way Eric is arranged on his bed, um, he's kind of like an 11 year old fetus symbolically. Right. Yes. And, and that's part of why Ava is unable to get over what is a not quite loss. It's like a loss, an extended loss right. that won't end. Right. Well, I mean, I think we should be clear too that this situation is kind of different from the other situations on the show because it's made pretty clear that Eric is like, like every day that he's alive is like, somewhat surprising to them or like that they're fighting for this because they mentioned that like, Oh, even a slight heart arrhythmia could be fatal. He has like several different, um, congenital, uh, issues that are like, like, it's not this, I don't think it's like a perfect similarity to the other characters. Like 
and it is kind of this weird like limbo loss they're in because they like they know that their child is going to die at some point and it could be tomorrow and it could be like two years from now but like they've just been like fighting to keep him alive because they believe that like that is um so like to do otherwise would be to go against the will of god basically yeah, and they, they allude to that earlier in the episode, right? It, it, the implication, I think, is that they sort of knew that their child was going to have this these conditions. Uh, I, I think, right, it, it, am I right in this? It seemed like the implication was that they knew that he was going to have health pro- these types of health problems uh, and then sort of, like, chose not, you know, or decided that they couldn't yeah. uh, get an abortion. Right, yeah. Just like, well, sorry guys. Um, you know, but but that 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 sort of is in contrast, I think, also to the literal explosion, right? That happens in the Vatican because there's this moment. God, what a weird shot! Yeah, where sort of Ava like looks directly at the camera, uh, and then immediately we cut after after Lenny meets Eric. And then we cut to the dog, Valencia, John Paul III's dog, running very slowly through the basilica. And then there just is this like soft white light. It's uh, that I, that's something that's the show hasn't done before, I think. And it happens twice this episode in that scene. And then at the very end, it ends in that same like fade to light, like a brightness that overtakes the screen. Yeah, what do you think the show is saying by comparing those two things? Because, I mean, a spoiler alert for the end of this episode, the episode ends with this, you know, before he goes back to Rome, Lenny takes, uh, you know, the doctor and his his wife, and they sit, and he says, I'm going to do a miracle. And then we get this shot where the camera is positioned sort of at the end of their, like, I don't know if it's a foyer, this, like, big hallway in their house, um, where there have been a lot of different sort of like check-in shots over the course of the episode. And then we see Eric and he's like glowing and slowly floating upward toward the ceiling uh, before we fade to white. And I, I think the sort of the implication or ex- explicit statement, but I, I think the strong implication, right, is that he is has died and, and that the miracle uh, is that Lenny has, like, sent him to heaven. And I don't really know how to square that as being sort of visually described in the same way as this, like, ISIS attack. I don't know. It's, like, pretty weird. Also, did they just let that dog run around the basilica or, like... I mean, they're used to it. They had a kangaroo, like, oh, not that true, long yeah. ago. <laughs> true. R.I.P. Kangaroo. Yeah, I don't know. Hori, what, what do you think about that, like, that juxtaposition? Because I, I really don't know what to make of it. Uh, it feels very meaningful, but it feels very sort of, like, capital M meaningful in that it's like, I know I'm supposed to take something from it, and it, it feels very strong, but I don't know what the feeling is. I don't know if I have an answer. I think... Uh... Part of me wants to draw this back to how I see Lenny's return as uh, like him emerging from a second baptism because 
one of the ways um, Catholicism thinks about baptism is as a, uh, an enlightenment, um, like literally becoming light, uh, uh, a son of light or, or light itself. Um, so that for some reason, that's where my mind goes with the the brightness of that fade to white. But I'm not sure what to make of the the explosion in St. Peter's and Eric's uh, assumption into heaven. That's extremely helpful. Wow. Isn't it incredible when we get like actual sort of like information about Catholicism <laughs> uh-huh. on the show instead of just being uh, dum-dums about it? Uh, but there, there is like the, the, the explosion, right? This attack really, I think, clarifies the stakes of the crisis in the Vatican, right? John Paul III, in sort of the rare scenes that we see in this episode of non-Lenny people, John Paul III is totally not functional. He's wearing like a black and gold bathrobe slash like kind of kimono, just sort of walking around his apartment where they have laid the corpse of the dog on the table, which People like eat off that table, Mister. Yeah, this is like a very this is a very <laughs> powerful image. This is like actually bad uh, papal servanting. I think I'm gonna sort of go out on a limb. Maybe they should not have put. It's a little odd. Yeah, this dead dog on the table, uh, and and you know he is really weak. And Sophia goes to see Voyello, and Voyello says, "We knew this from the beginning. He's a piece of porcelain." And you can you can weaken the strong, but you can't strengthen the weak. Um, and uh, you know it's like okay, this is sort of the moment where where we're expecting Lenny to come back and save the day, and and he doesn't, right? He he acknowledges he's not the pope anymore, uh, even if the cult sort of disagrees. Which also is interesting because in one of those other scenes, we get this moment where the leader of the cult, this, like, nameless woman, uh, they leave at waiting outside the hospital because they assume that Lenny has been killed by the church. And she says, everyone who believes in me, come follow and we'll go get purified. And the object of this, like, religious fascination has transferred from Lenny to this woman. And it's like, on one level, I totally get it, right? She's the only one wearing a red hoodie, and I sort of go along very easily with people wearing cool red hoodies. And also if I wear that hoodie, like I would feel very powerful. But also I think it's an indication of this, this season sort of emphasis on fundamentalism and on the sort of like dangers of zealotry. Also, Esther is just like totally off the rails at yeah. this point. Mm-hmm. Like she is just finally like all over the road. Um, She just, she is the one who tells this leader that like, Oh, Pius is dead. They killed him. And sort of like riffing on something she said early on in the season. And I think maybe in the first episode when she talks about like, oh, he was like good and the church hates anything that is good. And so they killed him. Um, And so do they actually, I was a little confused on this point. Do they actually believe that uh, he is dead now? Or do they just believe that the church put him into the coma? Uh, I think they believe that because the because they had 
stop the recording mm-hmm. that the Vatican had intentions to pull the plug. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Yes, that, that that's the impression I got as well. Mm, okay. And that they were basically like, screw you guys, we're going home. Uh, and now they're going to sort of make their own way. Which involves, like, walking into the ocean? Yeah, and just sort of a lot of nudity. There's a really great, uh, if you're going back to rewatch that scene, there's an older man in that scene <laughs> who has a very visible, uh, like, Speedo bathing suit tan line that I really appreciated. Um, yes. <laughs> so, two things. One, that's another baptism in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, another thing you guys have talked about on this podcast is, uh, Sorrentino's like fascination with bodies, which in that scene is, uh, you know, very explicit. It's just all these kinds of bodies and uh, they're all naked and they're all presented in this very, I want to say unsexy way. Uh, It's very matter of fact. It's, I would say it's nakedness rather than nudity. Um, And it's shot in this very like, if I remember correctly, kind of like washed out way. And it's a lot of these kind of pale bodies on this. It's very gray. Yes. Yeah. It's like very right. Cause it's like, it's very overcast. Uh, right. You, you just sort of, it, it feels almost disembodied in some ways that they, they are sort of attempting and you, or you can tell us if, if this is a, a connection that, that gets made with, with baptism but that they are almost ignoring the fact of their embodiment and trying to sort of achieve this type of like ritual and spiritual purity um, by doing this and by leaving Venice. Yeah, I think it's, it's telling that the water, it looks very different from the water we see Lenny come out of in the opening credits. Uh, the water is also gray and that we don't see them come out of the water, though presumably they do, right? Unless they just walk into the ocean to die, but that seems unlikely. Well, I think there are two options there. So the first option is that they walk into the ocean to die, and the next episode will be like, wow, there was some crazy sort of like Jonestown shit happening. The second Mm -hmm. option is that this is a stealth Aquaman prequel, and what we're seeing is sort of the beginnings of Atlantis. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, like, you know, we can sort uh-huh. of go into that a little bit more uh, in our, our bonus segment for Patreon subscribers uh-huh. that we totally have. Uh, but, you know, I, I think there's some Yeah, we clear... got the secret underground Patreon. Yeah. We're just making money on, like, the side so off much. of this. It's, it's a tithe. We're getting people to give us 10% of their, their Patreon uh, uh, income. Oh, my God. Uh, and, and but, yeah, we'll, we'll sort of go into that a little bit later. I'll just say some very, very obvious clues explaining that this the whole thing has been Aquaman the whole time. I will say, though, it's, like, kind of uh, indicative of his whole deal, I think, of Sorrentino's whole deal, that the scene with, like, by far the most nudity in, I think, any episode of either season of this show is, like, probably among the least erotic. Um, He so successfully, like, disentangles those two concepts, I feel like. It's cool. I really love that, that sequence as, like, a piece of filmmaking. I think he really... That's like a very hard thing to do in sort of a non Game of Thronesy way, where you're like, "Damn, you guys like boobs." 
And it's like, look, there are obviously a lot of shots in this show that are like Sorrentino being like, yes, I, I too enjoy boobs. But I the see fact you that, are a man of taste as well. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. As as the Lord said, like on the sixth day, God created. Yeah, but... Um. <laughs> uh, but but that, that, that like, that isn't all of these scenes. And then mm-hmm. in some ways it actually is like besides the point. Yeah. Um, like it is in the, in the opening title sequence, right? You get this moment where it feels like Esther is being sexualized again, and it is ultimately this, like, fake-out of, like, no, this isn't the thing that's important. The thing that's important is, like, Lenny being in this, like, sort of paternal, spiritually paternal role. But there, there's a negotiation between the two. I mean, Oh, totally. <laughs> um, also, the way that, not to take us back to the very beginning again, but... There's a way in which that scene, there's some sexualization going on, but also um, in many ways, Lenny is the object of, of the gaze in that scene. Yeah. Well, his, his, not only is the camera sort of very <laughs> effective at highlighting the bulge uh, in his, right. his bathing suit. It's glowing. It's, yeah, it's literally My glowing. My dude has like some uh, radioactive shiny blue uh what's his name situation going uh, on dr manhattan dr yes. manhattan um but yeah no that scene is interesting because on the one hand like it is i think actually that scene is much more sexualized than the beach one um just in terms of some of the movements um and like the outfits and it's also kind of odd to see cecile de france like standing there uh in this bikini like holding it's a really flatter. weird yeah. it's like kind of strange um and then you have like some. She of, looks. Her hair looks different. She, yeah, I mean, she looks different in that scene, definitely. Um, and then you have some people doing like like working out, but in ways that are mostly just like opening their legs. Uh, and but some, some people like hitting like pickleballs or like tennis. Like yeah, sorry, what did you just call it? Pickleball. It's a different. It's a di- not different thing from tennis. Like wiffle ball? No, not wiffle ball. Wiffle ball is like where you have the plastic bat. Yeah. Okay, the... I just didn't no, no, realize pickleball, that pickleball. Pickleball is like. It just sounded like you made it up. Yeah, so it's it's basically <laughs> no, it's like when you take it. pickle Rick and you, you hit can't. it with a rat. Okay, no, you you're you're yeah. I'm cut off. Uh but yeah, um, no, but I agree though. It's like but it's like all of these women are just like ogling Lenny and As they should be. I mean, yeah, he's cheap. <laughs> but he's also just like walking out in kind of this like swarthy sort of way where yes. like He's really tan, I feel He's like. really tan. He looks very, like, European. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that he's playing American. He he looks like he looks like he is auditioning for the scene in Casino Royale when Daniel Craig comes out of the water. Oh my god. That's, like, basically what it looks like. <laughs> Jesus Bond. Where, yeah, where, how do we get here? Hmm? How do we get here? No, because we're talking about sexualization and and the way that he sort of Sorrentino perceives yeah, I'm just Jude Law's body, where we were in the episode, which is related also we, to the we were, the sweaters that he wears this oh, episode, which I also good. want to like sort of briefly mention because the sweaters are great. Hey, do you remember when everyone was obsessed with that sweater that Chris Evans wears? This is better than that sweater. And then it turned out that Chris Evans is just like a really attractive person, so he could wear whatever he wants and it would be hot. Yes, um, uh, Jude Law also very hot. Yeah, I Looks mean good. when he wears that fucking like. Um, 
blacklist outfit with like the the hat. baseball cap yeah. and like the high collar and stuff when he's out on the square, which also is like really gorgeous um, because it's totally abandoned. And this this sort of image of his exile slash return into Venice as like this desolate place that has been almost completely mm-hmm. abandoned both by locals mm-hmm. and tourists at that time of the year. It's like a really striking mm-hmm. place for him to make his return back into the world. Yeah, and he go he keeps going back to that 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 plaza. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is also which is where he went into the coma. Yes. And it was full of people and now it's empty. Uh still looking for his parents, maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. He he might not be, but he is also I, I, like I want to also connect that to the other sort of like settings in this episode because the interiors in the doctor's house are all really similar to the hospital room in mm-hmm. that like every room is enormous and beautiful, but also feels dead. Um, and I think very consciously feels sort of like spiritually depleted in some way. Right. You have like this hallway oh. that we mentioned earlier where the lights keep going on and off. You have these like enormous rooms and the doctor even says to Lenny, like my house is one of the most beautiful houses in Venice, but it feels like a, you know, this sort of like empty space um, that only even starts to gain a semblance of life again when Lenny decides to be a, a babysitter for the evening and forces the doctor and his wife to like go on date night because Lenny is now sort of like marriage Mary Poppins for, for this one scene. Yeah, I, th- I think there's one scene where light is coming in through a window and uh, Lenny's looking out of it. But in almost every scene in that house, it's the curtains are completely drawn and they're huge, huge windows, huge curtains, but they're drawn. And all the light is coming from some lamps and some chandeliers and it's a very yellow light too. Uh, it's not... It really contrasts with the scenes uh, back at the Vatican or, or at Boyello's garden. It, it's it, there's something about that light, I think. Yeah, which is also in contrast to the white light, right? That shows up in the explosions and the um, and in the the at the end of the episode. Yes. Uh. We haven't talked about the big JP3 reveal. Oh, yes. Oh, let's talk about that. I mean, first of all, if you hadn't, like, I think we knew last episode, they didn't say the word heroin, but they did say he was in withdrawal. He admits he's a drug addict. He gives this big confession to Gutierrez and he says like, oh, I'm pompous. I'm a blowhard. I'm a poor thespian, like blah, blah, blah. I'm a drug addict. Um, and then he's talking about his book, which like everyone has been like talking up the whole season. Everyone loves the middle everyone way. Everyone loves the middle they're way. They're crazy for it. Um, it's the, the text that we all, uh, Gutierrez is like, oh, we, it's the book we all believe will help lead us out of this mess. Everyone's got the full text, of the middle way tattooed on their backs, red yeah. dragon style. Got dog-eared <laughs> copies, highlights. Um, and he's like, oh, you like that book? Yeah, it is a masterpiece. I didn't write it though. My brother Adam wrote it. My brother Adam. And it's like, oh, damn. Yeah. You're a fraud. Yeah. Oh, it all kind of makes my sense big reveal. Uh huh. My big reveal, I thought you meant the kimono that he's wearing in the scene where he comes in and finds his dog. No, that also is a good uh, reveal, yeah. but it's sort of less of a plot <laughs> reveal. That's, 
That's incredible. It is very good. It's a good piece uh, of clothing. Uh, no, but the confession scene, yeah, it's good. And Gutierrez's response well, is... Before, uh, we, before we get to Gutierrez's response, I want to talk about how, a little bit about how this reframes or clarifies our <laughs> understanding of this guy as a character. Because I think the whole mm-hmm. season we've been talking about him being a bad Pope and like flailing and like not really knowing what he wants to do. And it seems very, this is sort of the last straw, right? That he doesn't even have, he doesn't even have an idea that he's trying to sort of actualize. We literally see him like steal the manuscript from his dead brother's typewriter, like as his brother's coffin is being put in the ground at the funeral. Listen, Whatever else you know about me, I loved my brother Adam. Uh, yeah, and he, 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 right, like, the, uh, we talked about this way back in episode two, but the, the scene where he's yelling at his parents, I think that's the closest we've got in this whole season to the real John Brannock, such as we have one. Other than that, he just has been playing this part of, like, essentially pretending to be his brother for his entire life, while also sort of play acting and all these other ways of, you know, being vain and being and all these other things that are all just about appearances and that he, in some respects, like I think earlier on, we had talked about him holding himself up in the, the, the mansion so that he didn't have to interact with other people. And in some ways it feels like maybe he was like that or was porcelain because even the slightest sort of external stimuli uh, could shatter that whole impression of him. And that the only way for him to sort of like maintain other people's perceptions of him was to not interact with them at all. Mm-hmm. Um, much like I'm about to date this episode real substantially, essentially Pope Michael Bloomberg out here. I'm sorry. Don't talk about John Brennick's that way. We haven't talked about Satan yet on this season, and I thought it was worth mentioning him at least once. You know he's, like, nowhere near as rich as Bloomberg is. No, no, of course not. But he also is just sort of, like, a rich idiot who has never had to deal with, like, any real, like, criticism. Yeah, but he also doesn't... At most, he hunts fallow deer. Oh, totally. No, no, I'm not saying he's evil in the same way. Oh, okay. I'm comparing his crumbling to... I see. Okay, yeah. his, His fragility. Right, right. No, no, no. I, obviously, I would save John Brannock from a burning building. Mm-hmm. Big difference. Um, but but that, you know, he he has... Like, he has nothing. But then Gutierrez's response is just beautiful. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. You should talk about Gutierrez's response. Because it's, no, it's no, that, real that, good. That, that was important because it also... In thinking about this whole season and John Malkovich's performance and this character of John Brannock's uh who in some ways he's stylish he's perhaps not as charismatic as Pope Pius but he's quite attractive he's the eyeliner the outfits they're great but uh, when you try to find some essence or some point of view, a, a thought, an idea, there's nothing there. And that's why the Vatican has kind of been flung into disarray. Um, and then what Gutierrez tells him is, that's it. 
And he's like, is that not enough? And Gutierrez tells him, no, it's not enough to not be forgiven. Um, and he delivers this monologue about what God's love means in terms of the, the sacrament of reconciliation, where if you are asking God for forgiveness, he's, he's there. He's, he's not there to judge you. He's not there to change your behavior or control you. He's just there to save you if you want it. And it's a really beautiful moment. I feel like you actually maybe have a more positive interpretation of this than I do. Like, I agree that it is really beautiful and, and very kind, but it also, I think, like he says at the beginning of this speech, we we love sin, right? We love vanity because it gives us an excuse to act like God hates us, right? Which is sort of like very explicitly what Branix has been doing the whole season, of saying, God does not like me, God mm. hates me, and that that accepting the truth, right, that if you sort of, like, live this way and you accept that God is always there to save you, then the fact that you have not been saved is not just sort of, like, human fallibility, it also is, like, a choice that you've made, right, that you can, like, choose to accept the fact that God will save you and then go on and, like, be a better person, and that that sort of this type of self-flagellation is saying, well, like, I, I already, God already hates me, so there's no reason for me not to, like, do more sin. You feel like it's so wet, right? Yeah, exactly. In the, in the, in the baptism, which is a, a, a saying that I think was originally invented uh, to talk about baptisms. <laughs> John the Baptist, famous sayer of, you can only get so wet. Get in that river. Uh... Right. And that, that like, I found that to be really beautiful, but also very pointed as a way of being like yes. this very poetic way for Gutierrez to say, look, dog, like you're the Pope, you're the Pope now, dog. And like you wallowing in self-pity and being sad about your dog and all this other shit is like not going, it's not what God wants and it's not you being there for the church and it's not sort of like mm -hmm. again in the same way that that ava tells lenny that he has this moral obligation to do miracles like Brannix has an obligation to be the pope and the fact that he was essentially elected under false pretenses so to speak um that there was sort of like russian orthodox in, uh, uh, conclave interference um wow that was terrible we gotta cut that out Oof. <laughs> uh, yeah that's tough Oof. even i don't like even i didn't like that one uh, but that 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 is doesn't mean he he gets to pretend he's not the pope. Like he still has this job, right. and he still has this set of obligations. And I I found that really like this is a very well written tough love speech. I think I don't know I if that so that interpretation felt like it scanned because like it is also very beautiful and forgiving. But there is this mm -hmm. undercurrent of like you got to do it now, right? It's not enough. It's not enough no, to just yeah. confess. I, I I agree with that completely. And especially because what Branix wants is for Gutierrez to be scandalized yeah. and to be like, yeah, you're beyond saving. It's almost like he, he wants to be let off the hook in that way. Like, oh, why even try? Mm -hmm. But Gutierrez is telling him. He's trying. No. Yeah. 
which I think is interesting. And I, I want to sort of maybe close the bulk of the episode by talking, by pairing that uh, with sort of the discussions that Lenny has about the nature of heaven. Because the last thing he, he sort of initially is like, oh, I totally know what heaven's like. And I described it to your son in every detail, even though he whispered in this boy's ear for like two seconds, um, which sort of leads me to believe he was like, heaven is pretty good. And he was like, that's all the details. Um, but but he says he says later on, heaven is exactly like here, except it's not the same. In heaven, we glimpse God, which sort of on one level it means nothing, right? It's like this kind of contentless statement. Uh uh-uh. What? I I I see where the, I've seen that glint in your eyes before. Eric is about to talk about Nietzsche. You're oh, just looking gosh. at my notes. <laughs> You're just looking at my content warning. Eric is about to talk about Nietzsche. No, Please. I I'm not gonna. I'm not, I'm not gonna make a whole thing about this. No, no, no. I'm curious though. I'm just gonna Eternal say. Return. I mean, so, right, he, it's just, like, he's saying God, it, like, being in heaven, if this is, and I, I also don't think this is, like, him, quote-unquote, accurately describing sure. his experience of being dead, but that, or in a coma, but that the thing that he means uh, is about, I think, essentially a thing that is not just a, a sentiment that you would find in, in one of several things I've, I've written about uh, Nietzsche's concept of eternal return and its applications to anime, um, but also in sort of this broader, I think fundamentally stoic idea of accepting the world the way it is, right? And of, of living your life the way that you have been either told to lead it or like given it to lead by God, whether that means that you are a, a pope who has woken up from a coma and now has to sort of contend with this new station in your life, or whether you're a fraud who has become the pope and now has to sort of deal with that, or whether you're an obscenely rich doctor with a super hot wife and you have to sort of contend with the fact that you 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 have uh, you know a, a sick child, but that that heaven is exactly the same except that you're able to maintain faith and an ability to just sort of like continue without engaging in this sort of doubt and melancholy and uh, sort of self, not self-questioning necessarily, but without second guessing all of these choices, right? Because obviously this is not quite the same thing, but that, you know, the 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 sort of, like, brief version of, of what Nietzsche says is that the, the demon of eternal return comes into your room and says, you are cursed to live, or not cursed, but that you will live your life exactly as it is now, over and over and over again. All the same choices, all the same pains, all the same joys, over and over and over and over again. And that it is it's supposed to be the sort of, like, quote-unquote virtuous answer or the, the roughly correct answer to say yes to that and to accept it and to want that as sort of affirming the importance of your, your life and the sort of simultaneous like ephemerality and weight of it. Um, and I, I, I don't know enough about sort of the application of this idea in theology to say, oh, this is like what Lenny's referring to but it does feel very strongly like it's echoing that 
but in a way that obviously is like very Christian, which Nietzsche is not. Um, but that it does really communicate the specific type of presence in your life. Uh, and, and a type of presence that like the only time we see in this episode is when the doctor and his wife go on their fucking sick date night, right? That it's like, that's them accepting their lives and, and being, and not just sort of like living in this, this state of stasis. Um, sorry, that was, that was sort of a, a lot of talking about Nietzsche, um, which, as we all know, is sort of what we've come to know and expect from this uh, mm-hmm. largely comedic New Pope podcast. So everyone who had Nietzsche on your bingo board, check that check that shit off. Uh, but I, I found I don't know I, I found that quite meaningful in in connection with Lenny's questioning over the course of the episode and thinking about like what did he experience and like what are we supposed to take away from it? I don't know. Anybody want to either have thoughts about that um, or change the subject? I I have maybe a slightly different reading. I I don't think Lenny necessarily tells Ava the same thing that he tells Eric. I think he tells Ava what he believes he needs to tell her in that moment. But I also read the statement as the understatement of the century in a way it's like saying everything's the same except for we glimpse god is like saying nothing is the same so you're saying that lenny is saying nothing was the same i just want to be clear that's what you're saying i'm saying that being able to glimpse god is such a monumental shift that life can't be the same. That makes sense. But I also don't know, like, does he glimpse God? Because we do get these moments of him saying, you know, he goes to God and he does his, his, uh, his famous you must shtick. You and I must talk about Eric, which, like, true. But earlier, way back at the beginning of the episode, he says... You called me. I came back. Now tell me why. Um, which I think is like I don't know. I, that sounds to me like he he did sort of ex- have some experience of heaven. Which also, if we're being exceedingly literal, uh, what has Lenny been doing the whole time he's been in a coma? The answer is like showing up as a ghost and like doing all sorts of buck wild shit in the world, and it's like. Maybe his experience of heaven was that he got to sort of, like, be spiritually present and help out his friends, but also he was a ghost, so he, like, could see God. I don't know. Uh, that maybe is, like, too close of a, a sort of, like, puzzle box reading of this. But it, it is something that I think is worth thinking about, given that there is sort of, like, textual confirmation that his, like, ghost shit has been real, that has, like, actually been happening. <sighs> I th- I think <laughs> I think the show is kind of set up to never give us textual. Well, I totally disagree, but we should we should get into this and then um, we are like because I totally disagree. Um, 
But what what I was going to say is, but if we wanted to look at the the cinematography as a way of hinting at there being some higher power that looks down on Lenny and that at whom Lenny looks up there, this, when Lenny wakes up, we have this kind of God's eye view of, uh, the makeshift like hospital room, right? Uh, when, when Lenny wakes up, he gets on his knees immediately. I'm not positive that the eye lines line up, but it looks like he's staring right at where the camera would have been looking down at him. Um, then later when he goes back to prey on Eric a second time, the, the time where he really is going all in, the cam the, we follow the camera movement from his face it kind of twists up and goes back to the god's eye view is the camera telling us that there is a point of view from up there where it would make sense to even call it a point of view um and if we think back to how season one ends right the last time lenny was awake the camera it starts from a close-up on Lenny right over him. And basically it's not a zoom, but it it's moving up. And then you see him getting smaller. You see all Venice. You see, eventually you see earth. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I totally agree, right? Like, uh, I think that we get, a similar thing right in this moment where Ava is looking at the camera. And I also think like, I don't know. I, I, I think this is like less ambiguous. One of my favorite things about the show has been that it like seems to sort of pretty explicitly confirm that there is like some type of God in this world and that Lenny has some type of relationship to him. Like at the very least, right? Like he heals that lady. He definitely kills that nun by praying at her. He like, Esther's pregnancy, I think you could maybe argue is debatable, but I think it's supposed to pretty clearly be the result of him intervening. Um, and the, I think I've said this before, but the, the American version of the show absolutely would be like super ambiguous and be like, well, maybe. And even though Lenny doesn't want to admit it, he's like, let's not start that again. This just happens to be an absolute scientific exception. It seems very obvious uh, that from the perspective of the show, he has some sort of spiritual power or connection that is is unnatural in some way. Um, and, like, he just has to kind of deal with that and has to figure out what it means to him. And I think that that's about, like, him, the camera occupying that. I, I don't know if I would go so far as to be like, you know, where the viewer is God. But, but I, I do think that there is some confirmation that there is a God's eye view uh, and that at least sometimes we get to occupy it. Yeah, I don't, no, I don't think the viewer is God. <laughs> but there is like this uh, cinematic theory that this old like 
theory that gets broken a, a bunch of times in everything, but it's, it used to be that the camera should only point where like theoretically a human eye line or eyesight could point. Right. Um, huh. I, I don't think I, I knew about that. Does it does explain uh, sort of the internal coherence of the fast and furious franchise. <laughs> which classically as we all know um, often uses human eye lines to depict uh subs coming up through uh the ice um i i also i think like out of this coma lenny is pretty clearly he's not doubting as much or at least in this episode his doubts of about god's existence seem to be out of sight at least right yeah he he's definitely protesting too much is like i think all of his doubting of being like no it's like a scientific exception or whatever is like clearly him being like oh like he just doesn't want to accept what it means i don't know marriage you think we're reading too much into this Well, I just wanted to get to one thing that we didn't mention. Yeah, um, totally. Because we're, we are sort of coming up around yeah, yeah, yeah. the end of our time. Um, so when the Vatican is bombed, prior to that, we see the cops uh, show up and basically like haul Faisal out of the Vatican grounds. And because uh, he was living in that gardener's shed. And... Um, We've got Luigi and Asente, and Asente is now the Secretary of State. And uh, this is sort of like his first act as Secretary of State that we see is to like kick this migrant child um, who we now know has like fathered a, a child of his own with one of these nuns um, to like kick him out of there. And Luigi and Asente just get like this two actors are both fantastic because Asante has and Eric, you were talking about this when we were watching it earlier again, but he goes from being this sort of like one scene character in the young Pope to this like bitchy kind of like mean sort of, but also kind of like easily frightened character in a, in this season and we sort of see that here where he's like using his power to just like, you know, kick this kid out. Um, and then Luigi is just like, oh, yeah, no, Voyella knew about it, but he didn't do anything. And then he just like turns to him and is like, what's it like to not feel anything? Just the only time Luigi has been even remotely sympathetic this entire season. Right. Like yeah. he, he clearly is like, damn dog. Like that was cold even for me. Right. And uh, there's this exchange between them where essentially he's like, oh, are you trying to intimidate me? And he says, I don't need to try. You're already intimidated by me because you're turned on by me. And uh, Asante kind of just, like, gets flustered and runs off. And Luigi like, just does his, like, creepy little, like, smirk that he does all season. But it's, like, that's... It's wild that that is the first thing we see Asante do. And also, um, after the bombing, uh, the police arrest Faisal and, I guess, Ahmed, who is this guy that he meets at In, this, like, like a restaurant. Uh, deli, yeah. who... Um, 
is gonna like help him out and bring him some food um after sundown because it's it's ramadan it's ramadan yeah um so the implication to me is that uh Faisal was trying to get back into the vatican when this went down because the idea that this random child did a terrorism is like completely yeah it's absurd. nonsense like yeah there's no way um but the police are like, oh, <laughs> two brown kids. They must have done it. Um, and so they, we see him actually get, like, locked up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's sort of, like, meanwhile at the Vatican. Yeah. Back at the ranch. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's pretty, I appreciate that the episode makes it pretty clear that, like, they clearly did not do this. Right, and that they're sort of like being railroaded by the 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 cops. Um Yeah, it sucks pretty bad. Um and like the the way that everyone is sort of dealing with all this stuff that feels really petty almost, given that Lenny has come back, right? And like no one knows. Like Gutierrez learns this at like the very end of the episode because the doctor calls him. And the only other person who knows that Lenny has woken up is Bauer, who gets a text, like, right after Lenny wakes up and then says, like, no one should know that he woke up until I say so. Uh, and we still don't really know what Bauer's whole fucking deal is. But he I just do... eats his body weight in shellfish every day. Yeah. And then so he's watches not his girlfriend dance yeah. in a restaurant. That's sort of his whole deal. And and uses and gets texts on his flip phone. Maybe he's the Pope now. Yeah, do we do we uh uh miss anything? Or is there anything else you wanted to to sort of mention in, in this really quite lovely? I also want to say that, like there's some weird stuff in this episode, but I really loved it. I'm so glad that this character is back and this performance is back. And I love how, like, lyrical and weird it feels. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, if if an hour of TV comes out in 2020 that's better than this, I, I'll i be shocked. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I love this episode. Cool. Well, I think that will pretty much do it. Um, Jorge, do you uh, want to tell people where they can find your work online? Uh, just on Twitter, I'm at Franzia Fanon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Thank you. That's very good. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you want to follow us, I'm at Merrick K on Twitter. Eric is at Eric Thurm. Uh, go to fanbyte.com to check out a bunch of stuff that, um, some of it is about this show. Most of it isn't, but it's all good. Uh, oh, and also, I think we should just say, because we haven't been giving him any social love, Pope Francis is on it, at Pontifex. Oh, yeah, he is on Twitter, also. Um, Where he tweets about how Mary was the first influencer. Yeah, he does that. Um, we have other podcasts, too. And uh, if you're listening to this feed, maybe you already listened to them. But if not, if you're just here for this one, check some of the other ones out. We just did a... Uh, an episode of our TV movie podcast, you love to see it on the episode of Saved by the Bell called Jesse's Song, where Jesse gets addicted to caffeine pills and it's a whole fucking thing. Um, so check that out. Fanwidth is our flagship podcast where we just talk about video games and sometimes 
usually other stuff. Uh, yeah. And um, I guess that will about do it for us this week. I'll come back next week for another one of these. Only two left. Yeah, we're coming up on the end of the, so the we're Pope in the last season. third, yeah. Um, so until next week, uh, we're, we're the, the Pope's, Pope's now. now. I'm going to